Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of The Problem with Reading, a special episode. Uh, I'm Brevin. I'm Steven. I am Jensen. And I am Kelly. And here we are for May the 4th, but several months late and also not on the 4th. But it's it's a Star Wars episode back again for another round. We have a couple. Uh, we have one new guest, one, one guest that we've already had. Of course, myself, Steven Jensen is back, bringing his Star Wars expertise. Indeed, of course, lots of hot takes, and uh, you know, even even hotter personality. So, of course, forward to it. Yeah, and uh, we also have have uh, Kellen here with us. Yeah, first time guest, long time listener, first time caller, uh, long time Star Wars fan, and I have many many hot takes and a, an even hotter body. I don't have the personality, but I have the body for it. <laughs> Although, if there's one thing that we know, it's that this pod, you know. Being sexy on podcasts is not about your body, it's about your voice. And alas, Sam is not here because he's busy doing much better and more interesting things that, that we will not disclose. Uh, but but uh, he's otherwise occupied. Best. Can't imagine why he chose, you know, his uh, his honeymoon over, uh, over a podcast talking four sweaty boys. boys. Yeah, who knows? Who can yeah. Who can fathom the mind of, of such a man? But yeah, so uh, here we are for Star Wars. And we actually, I mean, as... as reference we did one of these before and i think jensen you have a a short little rundown of how that last one went just given it's been like at least a year maybe two no no it's been more than that because 2019 um, may the last right? one was yeah pre-9 yeah because it was pre-rise of Skywalker. Uh, so happier along times. that vein <laughs> an optimistic time for the star wars fandom and i have prepared a short uh, review of that episode having listened to it just the other day and so i'm just gonna <clears throat> go into that mode here commence primary ignition Last time on the Problem with Readings podcast Star Wars episode, Brevin accurately predicted that Rey would, in fact, not be a nobody as The Last Jedi suggested and would be a descendant of Palpatine. Steven argued that Jar Jar is the true big evil bad of Star Wars and has been pulling the strings all along. Sam talked about the unfortunate unfeasibility of building a real-life Death Star and the fact that enough people signed a petition that the Obama administration had to put out an official response. Kellen's guest stardom was but a twinkle in Brevin's eye, and now two-time guest Jensen accurately predicted that Rey would get a new lightsaber color at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, and also that everyone should get on the hype train for The Mandalorian, which hadn't come out yet at the time and is really awesome. That's accurate. That's that's the best call of that episode, is that The Mandalorian would be good. I feel like that was a pretty unbiased review of what happened there. Yeah, no, it, yeah. Yeah, that actually sure. was. Yeah, I, I I'm still very surprised that you were right on the the lightsaber. Um, the, that one did. It, it, see, from my observations, it had come from completely left field. I mean, like people, they obviously were baiting the uh, the red lightsaber. Like, no, I don't think yeah, anyone I wasn't, I wasn't thought that she was going to turn to the dark side. Right. But then all of a sudden, she had a yellow lightsaber. That was that was very out of the blue. It's an interesting. I was watching the that scene particularly again, and um. You can notice if you go frame by frame, there's a bit of a blue light and then a bit of a green light as she's lighting it up before it turns yellow. So she was burying two blue crystal lightsabers, but does anyone know what happened to Luke's actual green lightsaber? Oh, you think she combined the crystals? It's possible, because if you if you watch very closely, she's turning up the yellow, you get a, a flash of blue and a flash of green from inside in the kyber crystal housing. I want to go rewatch that, because I definitely didn't notice that. That's Yeah, me neither. That's, that's an interesting observation for sure. Kellen, like just seconds on the podcast and already bringing the fire. But mm. speaking of the fire, uh, what are we drinking right now? Uh, Steven, how about you? Right now, I'm having a uh, glass of the finest Karelian whiskey. Mm. What does that mean? 
I don't know. They just always talked about it in the books. Uh, Cornhorn liked it, I think. He, when he was undercover with a bunch of pirates, he would always pretend to get drunk, and he preferred using uh, Corellian whiskey because it was so smelly. And so he, he'd be like, yeah, you, dr- you drink, drop a little bit on your tunic, and it appears that you're wasted. Clever. Uh, Kellen, what do you have? I have followed a recipe I found on Reddit uh, to make spotchka, the blue alcoholic liquid as found in The Mandalorian that they are always drinking at every bar they ever go to. That's true. But Kellen, you did more than just make it. You also got some accessories to like fully create the experience. <laughs> I did. Uh, the recipe I found uses uh, tonic water as one of the base ingredients. And an interesting thing about tonic water is that when you shine a UV light on it, it actually glows uh, in a very bright, surprisingly bright way. And uh, so I went out and bought a UV flashlight just to show off the, the potential of this drink because when it shows up in, in, the, in the show, it's quite often very well lit and glowing a bit and it, it looks the most tv accurate when it's glowing that's pretty cool uh, jensen what are you and i drinking yes i have prepared only the finest of green milk as per my uh as per my uh, my theory in our in our last episode a little callback there and it is you know it just it tastes like energy and power and luke skywalker essentially mm-hmm. very nice and 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 what is in uh this this liquid that you have for us yeah so it's prepared using uh only the finest of bacardi rums from costco uh <laughs> a coconut mixture orange fizzy drink and uh blue curacao and i Is that what they were all always having at the skywalker ranch like were his they were getting uncle, lit on like, the farm alcoholics yep. that were drinking at like 12 o'clock noon so it is green milk is it, is it the I, tatooine milk or is it no, the, no, no, the milk no. from... i think this is the milk from the island, from the island yeah. Acto, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what they were drinking when they wrote that movie. Uh, so that's that's uh, two preliminaries out of the way. Uh, but you know, here's a question, right? So like, people will say like, "Are like we're going to talk about Star Wars? We're going to talk about Star Wars for a good little while here." But the question is like, do we deserve to talk about Star Wars? Are we true fans? Like, if someone is like, "Oh, like why would I listen to you guys?" So we're going to attempt here, real quick, with a short round of Star Wars trivia, just to demonstrate. That we are Star Wars fans. I, of course, am a Star Wars fan because I looked up the trivia to ask you three. And then you three are going to determine your Star Wars knowledge based on these that are all relatively, relatively difficult. Like, I'd say medium to medium high difficulty on these. Are we in Um, Legends or or, or Canon? These are mostly movie based. These are mostly just around the movies. I'm trying to keep this accessible for uh, how meta uh, are these audience. movies like are you going to be asking like what was the stagehand's name of no such and such? no i actually really don't like that kind of question i don't think that's a good mm. yeah I, I i think that's that's a bad kind of question like maybe basic okay, stuff right, about right. design but that's my problem with the old star wars trivia game is there'd be some questions that were easy like what's darth vader's lightsaber's color and then other questions like what's harrison ford's uh, cut of the movie. It's like, how, do, how am I supposed to know that? <laughs> yes. I think one that stumped me in that I believe it was Star Wars Trivial Pursuit was there was like a question that was, what is the name of Biggs Darklighter's astromech droid? And it was like, you just, you'd have to read the visual dictionary Ooh, to know wrong. what that was. It was so out of left field. And the rest of the questions are, you know, relatively easy. Anyway, carry on. Bro. Yeah. Anyway, so so this is a curated list. You, you three will be answering them. Here we go. Question one. Hands on your buzzers. <clears throat> what was the name of General Grievous's flagship in episode three. The Malevolence? Malevolence. No, no, Malevolence was from no, the show. No, that's the TV uh, show. Season one show. Yeah, I couldn't name the one. I don't see any hands. Uh, yes? I'll, I'll, I'll throw an answer out. I don't think it's right. Uh, Vindicator? No. 
Yeah, I actually really expected you guys to get this, but I don't see any hands, which is appropriate because the name of the ship was the Invisible Hand. Oh, <laughs> oh. I did know that, that one at some point, was, but that got was him. not on the brain. All right, in Return of the Jedi, what planet is the second Death Star orbiting? I see Jensen first. Endor. Wrong. It is Endor's moon. Forest moon. Of Endor. I will accept that the forest moon of Endor. Yeah. Kellen gets one point. I was. I you was, said what planet? Not what moon. It's, it's, not, well, it's, it's not orbiting. It's the orbiting. Planet. It's not orbiting the planet. It's See, orbiting the forest moon. That's, that's Endor. a bad question. Then that's funny because yeah, what like are you I obviously I knew Endor. If you, but if you wanted to, say, if, you, if I said Endor, and you're like uh, yeah, more specific. You, I would say the forest moon of Endor. Uh, planetoid, perhaps. I yeah, said. you should have said that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one one point to to Kellen. One nothing, nothing. Let's go. One nothing, nothing. All right. What word do the Gungans use to describe the droid army? Bombad? No. Oh, the um, the Mechaniques. That is correct. Uh, it is the Mechaniques. Uh, nice, Steven nice, is nice. now tied with Kellen. 1-1. One, one. All right. What nickname does Leia beg Han to stop calling her? I see Jensen. Princess. Princess. Wrong. Oh. I see Kellen. He also got it wrong. Uh, or, or, sorry, Steven got it wrong. Kellen. Your worship. Yeah. That is correct. It is your uh, worship. Uh, it is now 2-1-0 to one to zero with Kellen in the lead. <laughs> your worshipfulness. Your worshipfulness. <laughs> Your worshipfulness, your highness. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is sort of of my own curation, so I, I might be wrong and I'll be willing to take a correction, but I have what I believe the answer is, which is, okay, how many characters wield lightsabers in the original trilogy? I want to see a hand, not an answer. How many characters wield, wield a lightsaber in the, the original, original trilogy? trilogy? That's correct. Jensen. Four? Correct. I I have uh, Luke, Vader, Obi-Wan, and Han. Yep. Yep. That's what I got. Well done. Wait, huh? Oh, because yeah, yes, he does wield it in five. Indeed. Yeah. So now it is two to one to one Yay, with just a few questions left. <laughs> okay. In the first draft of Empire Strikes Back, what character was called Minch? Jensen. Lando. Wrong. Steven. Lobot? No. First draft of Empire? Mm-hmm. Was this a character that was introduced in Empire? I'm not going to answer the question. That's fair. I'll, I'll give it a shot and say uh, Akbar. Nope. Okay. The answer is Yoda. No, Akbar's only in six. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, Brevin, I missed that. What was that? Yoda. It was Yoda. Oh, gotcha. So two more questions. It's still anybody's game, Apparently. as long as Kellen doesn't get one of these. Okay. Uh, next up. This is a fill in the blank. So raise your hand and I'll call on you. Moisture evaporators are very similar to... Jensen. Binary low lifters. Correct. Jensen with two on the board. Oh, it's a big tie now. Well, Come on, it's a big tie, Come Kellen. On, Steven. We can all go home. All right. Okay. Family holding all hands if you get this one. All right. <laughs> Final question. Anakin's midichlorian count. Jensen. Over 20,000. Over 20,000 is correct. Jensen with the come from behind victory. Uh, Dark yeah. horse. Three points to Kellen's two to Steven's one. Well played one and all. I, I was hoping for some like canon or legends like extra movie stuff. Ah, I would have. Ah, dang it, man. I was trying to keep it uh, family friendly. So now, now, so now is where we kick Steven out of the call and finish the podcast, right? <laughs> yep. I made it. Pleasure, guys. I survived. <laughs> you, you come to cut. my podcast. <laughs> so now transitioning to our first topic, uh, tentatively titled uh, Disney Empire Strikes Back, uh, the aftermath of the sequel trilogy. Uh, so we don't want to spend too much time here, but the last podcast we recorded, we had not seen episode nine. And its complete reversal of episode eight and all that it stood no, for. That's not true. Um, for better or worse, and or at least by by some people's opinion, <laughs> I suppose. But gentlemen, what do we think about the conclusion of the the sequel trilogy? Just like overall thoughts. Let's uh, let's start with Kellen. The conclusion, uh, I thought 
in general, Episode Nine was a weaker film than Episode Eight. I enjoyed it immensely because I'm a Star Wars fan. I went opening night uh, with, my, with my friend Daniel. We we both went in cosplay. I had Emperor Palpatine cosplay, which was <laughs> surprisingly relevant, as it turned out. I just thought that with all the flaws Episode Eight had, and it did have flaws, it was at least trying something. It was trying to be new and kind of expand Star Wars in a new direction and have like new themes and such. In episode nine, what it did retcon, you might say, or at least just push away from the, the in episode from episode eight were some of the more interesting parts of it. And it went back to this is safe, this is Disneyfied Marvel Universe. Uh, we're gonna make it be safe. We're gonna make it be fan service, we're, which can be good, but um, we're going to make it just wrap up because we didn't really have a plan going into this. So I think that it would have taken it a more interesting direction, is my main thought, is if they, if instead of moving back from what Episode Eight did, it leaned into it. It could have maybe saved it another way by just leaning further into it and going further in the same direction of new and interesting ideas. I think that's a that's a good take. My, my general impression of Eight has been or eight and nine it was that both were failures, but eight was at least an interesting failure. That you and what you said, they at least were trying to push the universe into a new and I don't know, just a, a different way than the previous seven movies had, which I thought was at least commendable. If it, even if it didn't succeed, I think one thing that's sort of striking me now is how both movies tried to have sort of the mystery planet to planet puzzle piece heist almost kind of thing, and both just were designed so poorly and I don't know why because like Rian Johnson right he did Knives Out which is a very competent mystery film and it's very good but 8 is not a competent mystery film 9 by J.J. Abrams is also not a competent mystery film with the stupid knife thing which is just like the absolute like dumbest thing that I have ever seen everyone's intelligence It is and it isn't. I mean, the Death Star is designed to survive space and hyperspace. And travel. land at a particular angle. It's scrapped from the well, Death the, Star. The knife, the knife was probably made after it landed. Yes, but then the timelines are dumb. So, so like, four MacGuffins. That's just a lot of MacGuffins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a lot of MacGuffins to stick into one movie to try and realign so your plot. For the record, force healing is a well-established force power, and people were giving so much crap uh, about Ray just picking up force healing even though it hadn't existed in the movies. Yeah, sure, it hadn't existed in the movies, but it was well-established. Like, that that was not a problem. Sure, that sounds fine. Jensen, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I won't, I won't take too much time here, but I think just overall, I was disappointed in the very clear lack of an overarching direction that was like a thought out plan from the beginning. And you can say, you know, Lucas didn't know what he was doing at X point or Y point, but you can clearly see themes that build and develop throughout each of his trilogies. And I think what's lacking for me specifically in the sequel trilogy is a lack of commitment to anything. You know, eight, eight took things in a new direction that from seven and I wasn't personally a very big fan, but I think if it had then tied into nine, instead of just being completely rolled back then it, I don't know, it might in retrospect then make more sense to me or be something that I can enjoy more. Notable things that I think about when I think of things that they didn't capitalize on that they like put, I don't know, they put like half their hand in the bucket and then pulled it out at the last second were, um, especially with Finn, I feel like he was an extremely wasted character. We have a very interesting idea of a former stormtrooper, you know, committing atrocities and then like is like, wow, this is terrible and wants to leave because he's like so traumatized. And then we find out in nine that they're all abducted as children. But like throughout the whole trilogy, they're like hooting and hollering as they're blasting away these, you know, child soldiers, essentially. It's just, it's, 
it's all over the place. And I wish that there was some more consistency with a few of the themes. And then we would have seen some of the more interesting and new aspects of the sequel trilogy play out in different ways than they were, which ended up being kind of just like, okay, we're going to touch this and then we're going to put it away and never talk about it again. So that's my thought. And I think we'd all agree that it was generally a disappointment of a sequel trilogy. I think we all agree that there's a lot of sort of background forces that we will know a limited amount. We, we may never know like how much, you know, Disney is forcing the hand at things and limiting creative direction or, you know, forcing like once there's a backlash to Rian Johnson, then, you know, you go back to JJ Abrams, whether or not that's a good decision that there was just a lot of sort of, I, I mean, you know, this all happened post Disney buying the property. So I think what Kellen said about Disneyfication is a really good point. And I think when you look at nine, that probably really is the the core era of it. Like you have to, and I know some people have opinions about this, but you even have to to sneak in the, the dyad and the love thing at the end too, or whatever. But I think we can leave that there. Probably differing opinions on, on eight, but for the most part, I think we're all in a pretty similar place. I will, I will say one last thing here is that just that the Filoni verse, uh, Clone Wars really, really, really just watching that saved the prequels in a lot of ways, just by adding so much extra context that wasn't in the movies, but we were able to then see mm-hmm. in the TV show with more of a runtime and honestly better writing. Um, and hopefully we can see something similar for the sequels at some point here, because the prequels for a long time were the pariah of the Star Wars universe, and they're really not anymore. So hopefully we can see a similar sort of redemption arc for the sequels. No, yeah, I, I haven't seen Resistance. One of the things I heard they did was showed a lot of the gridlock that the New Republic had entered, and that the uh, that that's how the Empire slash First Order slash whatever was able to kind of crawl back through the cracks is that the New Republic had entered gridlock. Um, and so they did some amount of interesting stuff with the politics of the situation. So I mean, I I want to say I'm hopeful with that. I'm a little skeptical on if that if that. Uh, trilogy is redeemable but then again i would have said the same about the prequels and clone wars definitely saved that so that's a fair point i mean i'm just seeing now after you've said that a great opportunity to write a think piece resistance and american politics where like guys the first order will rise unless we abolish the filibuster come on that's what we have to do like that's you know that's you the correct analog there um <laughs> okay but moving on to to topic number two and uh we sort of touched on this a little bit talking about the mandalorian and, and uh what a success that has been And this topic I've titled, The Phantom Goodness. Despite the sequels and their sort of... I don't want to say... Well, no, yeah, I do want to say... And their glaring disappointment to Star Wars fans everywhere. What's been good with Star Wars these past couple years? Because as you've uh, alluded with the Filoni-verse, there's actually been a lot going on, basically all through the 2010s, that have been pretty solid Star Wars material basically coming from all directions let's start with with jensen there sure yeah i mean i i would i'm just really happy with the mandalorian and i am there there have been some criticisms specifically with season two from some people that i've talked to that seem like they seem to feel that the mandalorian is like pushing in too many directions and i mean we did literally have what two backdoor pilots for other shows that will be on disney plus in ahsoka and the book of fet book of but whatever yeah whatever that one's called that's coming yeah, out in yeah. december but i think overall i mean it's just it's just such a beautiful show and like the technology is insane and i love all of the art direction and it just in the similar vein of like rogue one it just feels so familiar and it just puts you right back in although of course a different you know part of the galaxy but you know we see our x-wings we see the space stations and you instantly know where we are and like what we're set out to do so i think for me the mandalorian it has to be the highlight 
Although, of course, you know, Clone Wars Season 7 and those last four episodes are, for me, like, S-tier Star Wars content all time. And I think you guys that have seen it, <coughs> Brevin, will yeah. agree with me on that point. Absolutely, I agree with you. And <laughs> I, I'm still I'm still very much looking forward to, uh, I haven't done it yet, but watching the, uh, the, the, the chopped up, yeah, the yeah, chopped up I, um, Siege of Mandalore space through Episode 3. I want to see that too. That would be a fantastic experience, I think. Wait, wait, sorry, I missed that. What was that? Uh, there, there. You, you can, you can simultaneously, if you have all the timestamps and whatnot, watch uh, the 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 Siege of Mandalore arc of season seven Clone Wars simultaneously oh, along with, with three. Revenge of the Sith. And I think like, you'd get a lot more out of it if you do that. I've not done that personally, well, but somebody, it's something I want to do. Somebody actually cut it together. They made a Revenge of the Sith Ultimate Edition that's oh. like three and a half hours long that includes. Bad Batch, Clone Wars, all that stuff. So it's like, it's put okay. together and uh, it's findable. Maybe, I don't know. I, last time I looked it up, he was like giving out Google Drive links to try to avoid being, you know, copywritten down. So anyway, it's out there if you want to find it. So so here's a question. So I will say my probably, one of my, I have many flaws as a person. One of them is that I haven't watched Star Wars, The Clone Wars, which I've heard is very, very good Star Wars content. I've seen a little bit at the very beginning, back when they were still doing the morals at the beginning of every episode, and I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just not about this. But, but then since that point where I left it, it got really good, Uh, and there was a lot of good stuff happening, and I just have not sat down and spent the time to do it. Uh, But now, as I'm thinking about this, it just sort of occurs to me that there might be sort of two, two spirits of of Star Wars. Perhaps there's like. The giant galaxy-wide conflicts and the all of the creatures and the interactions and the, and the politics and the warfare level. And then there's Star Wars as Space Western. And it seems like the Clone Wars and the Mandalorian are sort of Im- embody these two different spirits of mm-hmm. Star Wars um, as, as the, like, you know, galaxy-spanning epic versus lone warrior going on his particular hunt. Steven? I agree with you. I think I would call it Space Opera and Space uh, Western. Because you have a lot of the elements of, like everyone, everyone's always related to this noble hero or, or evil villain. Um, that like the interactions are all lar- larger than life, and so I think I would just call it space opera. But yes, you you have a great point. I would I would only counter by saying that I think in each of those shows you get elements of both. Like with the Clone Wars in particular, there's so many arcs that are focusing on one or two characters going off and doing something, and then you kind of get back to the Galactic Conquest mode that Brent was talking about. The, and and then same with Mandalorian. It, there's episodes where he barely says anything and just kind of walks along with the child, and then there's other episodes where he's like, you know, it seems like he's about to go retake Mandalore in season three or something. So anyway, I think there's I mean, elements of both. In, Cl- in Clone Wars, you have like Cad Bane, who is literally a space cowboy. Yeah, that's true. I mean... I will say one of the th- one of the moments that made me fall in love with the Mandalorian was like I believe it's the beginning of episode two when he's just walking yeah. with the child yeah. and there's just yeah, like ten minutes of no dialogue just silence of him walking and then he has the fight and there's just still no dialogue. I mean it would have been so easy, especially with a helmeted protagonist, for him to be talking about what he's feeling, what he's thinking about what's going on. But they they're able to portray through direction and make you feel. Uh, connected to the character and his drives, his motivations, without have without even having a face to play off of or any dialogue, you're just able to see it. And I I credit that so much to the direction, and that that's really the moment I I really fell in love with the Mandalorian was the beginning of episode two there. Yeah, I feel that as well. Major credit out to Pedro Pascal, and then I believe there are two other main stuntmen that are actually in the costume oh, nice. doing those roles in the combat stuff. So huge shout out to those guys. Uh, one of the things that one of my friends 
told me about the Mandalorian. So I, I'd watched it. And admittedly, I so I like the Mandalorian. I think it's a fun show, but it's not nearly as dear to my heart as Clone Wars or Rebels or even just some of the movies. Um, it's fine. I just not. It's not one I'm head over heels uh, over. But um, and this one I completely agree with both my friends. I. I we were talking, and they said, like, the difference between The Mandalorian and a, a lot of the, the more recent stuff with the sequels and whatnot is you can just tell that there's a reverence um, made that that the, the directors really love this universe, and they really want to see it grow in interesting and exciting ways. There, there, there's this reverence with the characters, with the lore, and I think, it, indeed, if you look at the sequels, they're flashy. They're fun. Even I mean, some I mean, some of the the shots are really well done. Some of the fight scenes are eh, one of the fight scenes are really well done. But <laughs> it doesn't seem that they're taking it seriously. Whereas Mandalorian, for being much lower budget, just has this this reverence about it. You can tell their reverence towards from all the directors. Uh, if you watch the the behind the scenes for Mandalorian yeah, right. season one specifically, there just listening to all the directors around a table talking about star wars and how much they love it and how much what they made has like impacted them um i mean obviously big shout out to dave filoni he's 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 oh, yeah. like the, the jesus of star wars now but all the other directors at that table were you could just tell each and every one of them cared about star wars they were going to do their absolute hardest their, their best work to make star wars something they loved and be able to contribute to it the one of really notable moment was um one of the directors for i believe it was I specifically remember the where they're, the arc where they're fighting in the village versus like the ATSC and stuff. Bryce mm-hmm. Dallas Howard directed those episodes. Oh, yeah. And she is the daughter of Ron Howard. And she tells a story of when I believe Lucas was trying to get Ron Howard to direct the prequels or at least one of them. And they're like sitting down and she's on her dad's lap like while he's talking to Lucas about directing the prequels. And so it's like from the get go, she's like grown up in the Lucas dome. Anyway, it was just like. That's wow, incredible. these people are in it. And then there's an incredible monologue that Filoni gives about the duel of the fates and like the all the iconography there. I believe there's it's been clipped and recorded on YouTube, but that is just like you listen to that and you know that the guy absolutely understands and wants to, like you said, Stephen, the reverence for the Star Wars and the lore and everything, trying to build upon it. Fantastic stuff. Well, so then my question is just like it, it seems like Dave Filoni has sort of emerged as an icon of someone who does Star Wars right for mm-hmm. whatever reason, uh, the, the the reverence or just, you know, his lucky choices. So I, I guess what's the what's the difference between all of the Star Wars stuff that we, you know, has come out since uh, Revenge of the Sith, basically, that's been good versus the sequels? Like, what's the difference between the Filoni-verse and then the sequel-verse? Like, what's the what are the defining characteristics that divide those two worlds of Star Wars? I actually think so. This was this is actually a really good um, thing because I was about to say this. Um, so one of the fundamental flaws with the sequels, I think, was a complete lack of ability to yes and. J.J. Abrams said a bunch of stuff. Seven wasn't incredible, but honestly, like it, it had potential to turn into a good uh, uh, trilogy. There were a few yeah, issues really I take with it, but it wasn't bad. Ryan Johnson yes butted everything that J.J. set up. And then J.J. in uh, episode 9, yes, butted everything that Ryan Johnson had set up. It's More like no butted. Was... Come on, let's be honest here. <laughs> you oh, yeah, shut I mean, down. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no butted everything. Um, and, and just in general, it also, like, the sequel trilogy seems so disjoint from the whole Star Wars mythos. It, it seemed like it was almost just out of this vacuum. Like, I barely even... 
yeah, like these are the same actors, but are these actually the same characters? Like Han doesn't feel like Han, Luke doesn't feel like Luke. What what is all of this? Whereas I think Filoni um, and a lot of these directors um, are masters of yes and. So I look at the dumpster fire that was the prequel trilogy. And Filoni goes in and says, nope, I'm going to explain a lot of Anakin's decisions, like, and how he went from this petulant child to this hero of the Republic, but was still flawed enough to fall. I'm going to explain all of that. And did a really good job with that. Fallen Order fits hand in glove into the universe and shows a bunch of Jedi who are absolutely scrambling, trying to figure out what to do now that their entire world has caved in. Um, also start, it, it also, yes, and obi-wan saying hey vader did help hunt down jedi so that does imply that there are some surviving it it just seems that these these content creators are able to not be disjoint they're able to smoothly uh fit in with the star wars mythos whereas the sequel trilogy just it just didn't seem to really fit in my favorite yes and is 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 always that throughout the entirety of the clone wars they are very, very, very careful that Anakin and General Grievous never meet. <laughs> yep. The fact that they can write oh, seven yeah, seasons, right. seven seasons of a show where your main protagonist and your honestly your main antagonist of the show is Grievous just never meet because of a one throwaway piece of dialogue in Episode Three that implies they're meeting for the first time, <laughs> and they wrote the entire show based around that. They, they they didn't try to retcon it. They didn't try to fix it or come up with some weird from a certain point of view perspective. They just went with it, and they and they rolled with it, and it turned out really well. So, so this yeah. actually ties a little bit into I'm prefiguring my my rant here, which is just that it seems to me maybe one thing that you could say between much of the Star Wars content from the Filoniverse, from the Clone Wars, from the Mandalorian versus the three sequel movies is that the all of the let's just classify it as the good stuff and the bad stuff. The good stuff or at least the stuff that we're appreciating at the moment, it was um, created and shaped by like disaggregated directors, writers, people like that. It, it, it wasn't centralized. There was a decentralization to it where they had to respect a core canon, but other than that, they were free to exercise their creative direction within certain limits. Whereas with the sequel trilogy, it's J.J. Abrams, do a thing. Rian Johnson, do a thing. J.J. Abrams, do a thing, even if it's undoing everything that, that Rian Johnson did. And in, in in that sense, sort of like the weird centralization and corporatization of Star Wars was really sort of the structural impediment uh, to the sequel's failure versus this other universes that's been created parallel to its success. I want to be clear that uh, my opinion, and of course, I'm I could be wrong, I have no inside information about this, is that Disney as a company is actually fairly hands off with the studios they buy like with marvel they kind of let marvel run their own thing with kevin feige and uh and everyone there and even with even with star wars i i i i want to just preclude any well i did a little earlier but preclude preclude (laughs) most bashing on disney as making decisions that have ruined star wars when i feel like lucasfilm is still mostly in charge of the decisions that they make over there from my outside perspective and obviously you know i I'm just a guy who watches Star Wars and enjoys it. It seems like rather than Disney, the corporation, stepping in and making changes, which they do, a notable a notable one being like what the Chinese cut of Rise of Skywalker didn't have like a same sex couple kissing at the end of the film in celebration because of yeah. playing to audience and things like that. And oh, and the big one was cutting Finn out of the promotional posters in China because 
black people. Crazy. So there's the bad side of corporations, which does exist, but in my experience, doesn't necessarily taint the uh, creative direction of the films themselves. I think for me, that has more to do with like the actual leadership within Lucasfilm with, you know, the big K Kathleen Kennedy and, you know, kind of, I don't know how it all works there in, in the, the gallery behind the scenes for the Mandalorian, Kathleen Kennedy is sitting at that table asking these questions and it seems like she's been around, but from my perspective, she doesn't talk about star Wars in a way that Filoni or Taika Waititi or Dallas Howard or any of the other directors do with that kind of reverence. It's, I don't know, it's more of like, a, oh yeah, I was there when they made Indiana Jones and I was, you know, the whatever I did uh, during that time that I was higher up enough that at some point I become president of Lucasfilm. So anyway, yeah, agreeing. It's not, necessarily, I, not necessarily to blame Disney, but there's someone to blame and I don't, you know, that it different people being in charge of certain projects does affect the way that things turn out. That's all I'm trying to say. And I can't help but feel like that was probably a similar thing with J.J. Abrams and uh, Ryan Johnson, that they're big-name directors, they know how to direct movies, but they don't know the core mythos of Star Wars, and so it's just difficult for them to really fit in. It's not a malice thing, it's just a, I don't know, for them it's just, we're making another movie, like, this isn't that big of a deal, right? Hey, I rebooted Star Trek, I can do Star Wars, it'll all work out. Yeah, I mean, that's it's fair. Funny, I actually liked his uh, his Star Trek. Granted, though, I wasn't a huge Star Trek fan. And so same. for I'm me, it's like, oh, yeah, it was a fun movie. Oh, uh, see, as, as someone who grew up watching, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation uh, a lot, I watched the original series, too, and, and Voyager. I watched all of Star Trek. And uh, I, I really feel like J.J. Abrams's interpretations of Star Trek are, aren't in keeping with the with the, the point of Star Trek. But that's a whole other podcast to happen. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yep, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, well, so sort of uh, vaguely in that vein. Uh, so obviously we're we're seeing both, um, you know, the in, the encroaching dark side uh, of the sequels and also this uh, sparks of hope and, and light, uh, both from the Mandalorian and the Clone Wars and various other avenues. Uh, so this leads us to topic three, uh, titled A New Hope. Uh, so this is sort of just thinking about like what are these new projects and directions coming out of Star Wars? Uh, what are they? What are they? Or what are our impressions of them? Uh, just off the top of my head, and then people can take it where they will. But uh, we have the High Republic venture from Star Wars that's come out with um, some comics, some books, audiobooks, mostly novels and comics. Um, and then there's also been obviously this slate of new shows that's supposed to be released. I forget the actual list. Someone can. Uh, and then Bad that. Batch is airing right now, and uh, then you have Book, Book of Boba, Ahsoka, Andor, Ahsoka, the Alkalite. Is Andor still? The Acolyte, I haven't heard much yes, about yes, Andor. Yes. Andor is filming, yeah. They're filming right now. Okay. Oh, great. As and is Kenobi, Kenobi is also coming out. Is filming, yeah, and then Acolyte is the kind of the unknown, I believe. Is They're not really that far along. Uh, we, also have, we also have Visions, but of course, I don't believe that is meant to be canon Star Wars stories. No, it's, yeah. Hot yes. take. It'll be coming out. So what, the world between worlds is going to be used as the vehicle for uh, a Marvel-esque "What if"? I hope not. Um, I I don't. I'm think with so. you. I think I think the quickest way you can destroy your your universe is by introducing stuff like time travel and alternative timelines and whatnot. I think that stuff is garbage. But I'm wagering that they're they're going to be doing a bunch of what, what did you say it was called? Gallery? Visions. Or not gallery. Um, Visions. Visions is the anime. Yeah. Which is going to be a bunch of alternative universes where from. My understanding, Visions, is, I believe, a non-canon... It's basically just a representation in uh, a bunch of different anime styles 
of like one-off Star Wars stories. And, you know, there's the promotional oh, material out. Gotcha. You can take that. It looks actually pretty neat. Like there's a Studio Ghibli looking one, which I believe has like a kid and a droid. There's one that I'm really excited for that looks like it's going to be like a lightsaber duel. Mm-hmm. I believe there's some with like stormtroopers. Anyway, I think it's just going to be a range of different topics. I don't think any of them are interconnected. And I don't think no. that any of them are going to have it's- anything to do with very much of what we uh, have been following lately. I think it's pretty much just a... a independent project from a bunch of different anime studios. It is, yeah. That, that was my point. Is that gotcha, it's, gotcha. It's I was just, under the incorrect uh, assumption. It's just different anime studios telling a story, a non-canon story, in their own particular style. Yeah. Which I think lends itself I am very, very, very well. Like, some of the images for the uh, the one that's going to be the, the duel, or looks like it's going to be the yep. duel, yep. just like quintessential like space western images but done in samurai style and it looks like the absolute coolest thing i am so excited it reminds me of that rick and morty promotion yes yes it does they had that's what that's what it made me think of anyway it it should be yeah yeah. okay so that's that's one avenue visions which hopefully will not turn into you know just like a a massive marvel what if nonsense bubble uh but what about these other avenues new tv shows uh and the high republic uh avenue uh, new video games as well, Fallen Order too. Yeah, and Greenlit, I believe. That's what I was. I was going to get into that. That's definitely. Um, I'm a. I'm a. I'm a big video gamer, and I love Fallen as Order. As are we all. As are we all. Yes, we all, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've. I believe I have played most every Star Wars video game. It's hard to keep track, track down all the old ones from uh, before the prequels, even. But as someone who's played most of them, I just. I, I love the idea of putting Star Wars in your own shoes let you let you experience the world through the video game medium it's one of my favorite mediums for four stories because you're you're part of it you're not just you're not watching it you're participating in it you're making choices and directions in it and um uh, my favorite game of all time is knights of the republic yep i mean it's definitely like there. if not one then like two or three yes knights well (laughs) if only there was a three the old republic is (laughs) oh boy if only there was not the republic three a single player game but i am very much looking forward to the fallen order two i think fallen order one told a, a really truly amazing story of just what it's like to be a Jedi post Order sixty six, and mm-hmm. their Order sixty six flashback scenes with um, mm-hmm. oh, man. with Cal Kestis and his master, Crazy. and his master sacrificing himself against those clones who they trusted and loved was yeah. honestly heart wrenching. I mean, oh, it's up there. It's up there with Clone Wars. I mean, I think I think Rex and Ahsoka are probably the best uh, Order sixty six interaction in my mind. But uh, Cal Kestis and his master fighting those clones is up there with it. I mean, it's it's really good, and I, I would I, I'm so much looking forward to Fallen Order two, and I'm looking forward to uh, the open world game that Ubisoft is oh, putting yeah. out. Mm-hmm. That's gonna hopefully that'll be good. I'm excited, uh, honestly, for when EA loses the exclusive rights. Uh, they they've they've done an okay job. All the games they have put out have been okay. I mean, Battlefront 1 and 2, they're solid games for what they are. Mm-hmm. Battlefront 2 is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, 2 with all the updates that it got turned oh, yeah. into quite a good game after oh, yeah. they were forced into making it. Yes. It. <laughs> it, they, they, tried to, they tried to make it into FIFA and no one was having it. So uh, I'm glad they updated it because it's actually a really solid game now. And then Fallen Order is great. I love Squadrons. I mean, sweet. it's definitely more of a niche game, but it's it's quite fun to play. And just the I, I, have, a, I have a joystick and flying around in a star wars starfighter and just having a joystick so it feels like you're in it and you can like punch your throttle forward 
after spinning around. It's one of the b- most tactile best feelings I've had in a game. So, have you done it with the VR? I have not yet? done it with VR. We yet. installed it on it's my computer. Wild we should with do the that. VR. It, yeah, it's crazy. It's but actually surreal. I love video games. I'm really excited uh, to see what happens once the once the EA exclusivity agreement drops. Because even though EA's made good games, they've made very few of them. Honestly, they've only made like four Star Wars mm-hmm. games yep. and then like a mobile game, which yep. I, don't, I don't play mobile games. Someone needs to make sure Star Wars 1313 happens. Oh yeah. uh, man! Right? Oh, oh my gosh! Man. I would love that. Star Wars 1313 with the pipe dream then tragedy but i am looking forward to video games as a specific medium for me i mean i obviously i love all the shows ahsoka is probably my favorite star wars character of all time so that show is going to be huge for me um but i think video games are my specific i want this to be good moment yeah and i'm i'm right there with you with all the video games for me i think different from all of you i have experienced the high republic uh, steven have you have you you haven't read any of those comics. I haven't read it, no. Okay. Yeah, so I I read the first novel, which was called, I believe, Children of Light. And I read the first couple comics. I haven't caught up to date entirely. And then I also have read about half of an interesting book that I originally thought was in the High Republic, but it actually turned out to be like thousands of years before that, like before the Jedi were anything. And I think even before hyperspace existed. And I got thrown off at the beginning because I was listening to it as an audiobook, and they started pronouncing the Jedi like Jedi. And I was like, we know how to pronounce Jedi. Why is this the way we're doing it? But it turns out it's actually like they are the Jedi and they have like actual swords instead of lightsabers. Anyway, it's an interesting book. Into the Void, I believe that one's called. Anyway, but with the High Republic, I think that <laughs> honestly the best part for me is the na- the narrator of the audiobook. His name is Mark Thompson. He is incredible, and I believe he does the Thrawn books as well. And he just his voices are incredible. The audiobook experience, I like most of what I listened to as a kid was like The Hobbit and some books. I don't even know what else we listened to, just on car rides and stuff with the family. But the Star Wars ones are like an audio experience. They have music, they have sound effects, the all the voice act the the readers are doing different voices. It's really impressive. So I highly recommend the any Mark Thompson Star Wars audiobook. Just gonna be really good hands down. That said, with the High Republic, I do have some problems. I'm not going to delve too much into it, but it just kind of seems a little bit all over the place. But as a whole, I think that it's good that they're going into a new era. That's what I've been wanting them to do for a long time. There's just so much space in Star Wars as far as a timeline goes. There's so many thousands of years where you can do so many things. Like when when they made KOTOR, it was just like, this is unheard of. Let's just do a thing. And they, they had so much freedom because they went so far back. And there's literally no reason to connect anything to anything else. And I think that's the beauty of Star Wars in the universe is just wherever, whatever timeline you are in it, 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 I honestly can compare it maybe to like Warhammer because there's so many different, you know, time periods in that as well. And I don't really know very much about that, but just it's such an engaging universe that people want to be there in it in any time that it is. And so there's a lot of freedom you can have and just there's. I want them to do more. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Here's hoping they make Revan canon at some point. I mean, he's already been allegedly canon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm of the opinion that they could make him part of the High Republic and it wouldn't really change that much with his story. I mean, the only time requirement is that in old legends, I believe, Darth Bane found his holocron and that's what led him to found the Rule of Two. So it ha- he was supposedly kind of old by the time Darth Bane came around, who was then kind of old by the time anything we know comes around. But... 
only that is really holding them back from just making Revan canon within the High Republic time period. Because I think that's the only reason that they couldn't. I mean, there's not like any technological differences. That's an interesting fact about KOTOR is that they still have blasters. They still have back to tanks. They still have lightsabers. Colto. Colto tanks. Yes, I'm sorry. Yep. They, it's the same thing. Yeah, they, po- they power everything down by half a measure and then it's all equaled out in the end. <laughs> and then like 5,000 years later, they're like, we have the same technology now, guys. Don't worry about it. The blasters got better, but so did the healing. We're all good. <laughs> I'm just hoping for, Re- for Revan to be further canon than in the yes. visual novels, naming one legion after him. So here's mm-hmm. a question. If you had to pick one director out of any director that is currently directing, who would you choose to direct a standalone Revan film? Ooh, that's a tough question. This is this is the Filoni. this like, is that, that that's true is actually pretty easy one. Filoni uh, from Steven. I I, I mean Filoni is a, is a is a pretty obvious choice, but in order to not double up on choices, I really do actually trust Taika Waititi. There hmm. are some humorous moments in Kotor. Okay. Sure. And I think that I think that if anyone's going to make the most out of that while still telling a compelling story, it would be Taika Waititi because like I think Thor Ragnarok is probably my favorite Marvel film. Sure. Yeah, um, that, that's totally valid. But if you Ragnarok Revan, that would be I don't know, that would be rough. It's it would be <laughs> some amount of seriousness with that story. There 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 does. It, there can be. Um but I think there is room for humor in it. I mean hmm. Oh, certainly. Um, the HK droid was hilarious. Yeah, HK, HK-47 is, is a fantastic character. But, I mean, like I said, like I said obviously Filoni is the choice, but mm-hmm. in order to just provide some variety, I was going to voice another option. Okay, Jensen? Fair enough. Yep. I was I was bouncing between a couple, and I'm not going to name the other one that I was thinking of until Brev does, and, mm-hmm. and Steven. Or, Steven already said Filoni. So, I think Ridley Scott, I'm thinking um, he directed The Gladiator, I think Revan could be a really mm. interesting tale, you know, fall from grace. It's kind of centralized around obviously his crew, but like, you know, Revan is the headpiece similar to in Gladiator and he kind of has his boys around him that are side characters and stuff. I think that I think he could do a really interesting job with that. Really Scott, it's my choice. I don't think my answer is as good as some as uh Jensen's in particular. Um but I think cuz cuz Jensen's is, is good at getting at like the human side of things, but in terms of getting at Revan and the KOTOR universe as sort of like, cause of the, the, the characters in that game, but also particularly in the game that follows sort of different from star Wars is they are much larger than life. Like they almost up the scale from the, from the star Wars movies. I know what you're going to say. Zack Snyder. Yep. Zack Snyder. <laughs> yep. Yep. Gods of Unmen. Oh, Revan as, and just like, can you imagine slow-mo the baby. slow-mo star yeah, Wars yeah, scenes, yeah, like yeah, going yeah. full on cinematic with blaster bolts and lightsabers and vibro blades and all these, and like the, uh, like I'm just imagining like how shiny the Sith trooper suits would be <laughs> just like absolutely so slick. Uh, so I are made of chrome. Made of chrome, yes, but like, chrome like is, it'd be a three-hour movie, and we would never know what actually happened. <laughs> and that would be fine. There would be, it would be, there would be so much violence, we just wouldn't even care. Um, at Jensen, was that your? Uh, no, I was going to say Tarantino was the other one. Thinking, yeah, like, yeah I was thinking that, but I don't. Chain sort of thing. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Tarantino's an I don't think Star Wars guy. is bloody enough to, to no. satisfy Tarantino. I think Darth Bane with Tarantino. Okay, that's fair. That's good. Yeah, that would work. Darth Bane with Tarantino yeah. would work. Sure. Um, all right. That's a okay. good question. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So with that, we are uh, starting to run low on time. So we're going to move into our second and final game, uh, which is Star Wars Superlatives. Kellen, can you run somewhere and get a 20-sided die for me very oh, quickly? I can. Thank you. I, I forgot <laughs> to do this beforehand, uh, but we'll just do a pause and I'll edit out this section. 
comes Azul as a pod races. That's absolutely right. And a big turnout here. I now have a 20-sided dice, which is what I require. So break up the Dungeons and Dragons dice bag. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So this second game is Star Wars Superlatives. So, I have 20 Star Wars superlatives. Some examples are Best Star Wars Film, Best Star Wars Story Arc, Saddest Star Wars Death, Best Star Wars Story Twist, etc. I will roll the dice and give our two duelists a Star Wars superlative. They will compete in three rounds with the worst uh, Star Wars trivia scorer uh, going first in the first (laughs) and third rounds. The other two will act as judges and decide who wins each round. The winners of each round will face each other in the final three rounds. So, first off, we will start with Kellen. And Jensen going up against the, the winners, yeah. each other. Yep. Since Jensen won the overall, Kellen, you will get to go first and second. I will now roll the dice for the first Star Wars superlative. And uh, Steven, we are judges, so we have to choose one of these two to win each of these three rounds. Okay. We have a five. So you will have probably like 15 seconds to think, and then you have to go. Okay. The first Star Wars superlative is best lightsaber. Okay. I got it. Okay. I think... The best Star Wars lightsaber is Darth Maul's. I think the moment in Phantom Menace, when after he's had a duel already with Qui-Gon, where he has like a weirdly long-handled thing and he's still fighting one sabered, the moment in Phantom Menace when Ray Park steps out of that sliding open door, he stands there and he does his, his signature Darth Maul pose, and one end lights, and then the other end also lights. That is probably one of the greatest Star Wars moments of all time, just for seeing the first time a double-bladed lightsaber, and how cool that is, and how everyone just loses their minds when that happens. It's a good answer. To be, yeah, good answer. Because is, isn't it true that Darth Maul only uses one blade when they first meet yes. on Tatooine? Yes, he fights so, quite on okay. one blade. So we're just confused as to Okay. Yeah, that is a really hard answer to compete with, though I will have to say, in a similar vein of unique lightsabers, I'm going to go with Mace Windu. He has the only purple lightsaber in all of Star Wars, and that is specifically because the actor said, hey, can I have a purple lightsaber? And George is like, we'll see, and gave him a purple lightsaber in the end. I also like the hilt. The hilt is incredibly cool. It's got gold, silver, very shiny. You know what's written on it? Uh, oh, I do. Isn't it BMF? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Carry on. It's purple. It's cool. It's shiny. And it has one of the you know most iconic Star Wars moments associated with it with Windu facing down with Sidious and then Anakin ultimately betraying him. So that's my answer. It's hard to argue with Ray Park, though. Uh, Steven, what do you think? Maul. Yeah. yeah, I agree. No, Kellen, I think Kellen, Kellen got the best answer there. All right, so one, one round to Kellen, round two. Uh, rolling the dice now. Jensen will go first this time. Uh, we have a two to Jensen, the coolest villain in all of Star Wars. We did say all of Star Wars. Interpret it as you wish. Okay. I'm going to have to go with Revan. I mean, the... The Mandalorian mask combined with, like, also actually purple lightsaber. I just remembered that he has one in double purple and red. Yeah, and man, every single... Since I first saw him in his full armor and everything, and there's a really iconic comic page where he, like, puts on the face mask for the first time and, like, becomes Revan. And you just follow his story. All of us have played KOTOR. It's iconic and... He just is one of the most memorable villains. Ultimately, you know, turned good guy in the end, or maybe not, depending on which ending you're going with. But, man, yeah, I, Revan has to be it for me. And there's, yeah, no doubt. I believe I have to go up against Jensen here. Yep. For best villain. Yep. Best villain. Which is, which is a tough argument, because, honestly, I love Revan so much. Um, 
I got, I, I really do in this situation, I have to go with, with Darth Vader yeah. because he is the most, I would say one of the most iconic villains in all of pop culture. Not even talking Star Wars here. It's everyone knows who Darth Vader is. Everyone knows. Everyone knows he's intimidating, he's frightening, he can kick anyone's butt. Um, and even just his breathing pattern is so iconic that you can just play that. And everyone, no matter where you are, knows what that is. Everyone knows that's Darth Vader's breath and I should be scared now. And as much as I don't want to spoil Fallen Order, um, it's been out for like a year now, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. But just the moment in Fallen Order when you hear that breath for the first time and you know that you are screwed. There is nothing you can do. You have to run and hope that you live because you just can't touch Darth Vader. Darth Vader is so powerful, so intimidating, so everything as a villain that you have, there's, there's, there's no choice. You just, you run and hope. And I love, I, I don't know what comic it's from, unfortunately, but the, 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 the Vader quote when he's surrounded by, I believe, Rebellion Soldiers, uh, when they all say like, you're surrounded, surrounded, and he says, all I'm surrounded by is fear and dead men is so iconic yep. and then of course rogue one's hallway scene everything vader does is oh, just man. iconic yeah. oh man that that was Ro you you think rogue one's over you think you solved it they got the they got the the, the message out they got the plans out everything's cool now and then in the hallway you just you see the lightsaber you hear the breath and you know that every single one of those people are dead men well argued well argued all right steven we have to choose in between so when I had coworkers who were from uh, from different countries and went on, they were asking on American culture. I would always say, if you want to understand American culture, watch Star Wars. And so I, for that reason, I think I'm, I'm going to have to go with Kellen on that one. Okay. In this, case, I do like Revan. Revan's great. I love Revan too. I mean, so, it was a hard argument for me. So I, I I do have to say that looking at the, the rules themselves, it is coolest villain. So while Darth Vader is iconic and you know, like a center of pop media, American culture, in terms of like pure cool factor that, you know, he's, he has half of his body. He's mostly machine. Revan is a cooler the villain. Scene, the scene 38 fight in episode four is just not very cool. No, it's, it, it's not very cool. So I'm going to say, uh, so, so I'm going to say that it is in fact Revan, which puts us at a tie for round two. So we will go to round three in this, in this case. Uh, so we'll say that you, uh, because you do not have the full two. So if you, if it's a tie here, Kellen will, will win. If Jensen wins, it will be a full tie and we'll sure. figure out something. So, well, <laughs> third roll. Good to me. Okay, we have a 10. All right, best Star Wars film. Kellen has the first go. Oh, best Star Wars film. Okay. So everyone knows that the obvious answer for Star Wars fans has always been Episode Five. I mean, that's just true. I thought it was Holiday Special. <laughs> <laughs> holiday Special. I am going to make the argument... I mean, it's just on my mind. I was just talking about it. But I think Rogue One is, is one of the best Star Wars films. It's standalone. That's my thing for me. Because if you argue one of the movies from the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, Run to the Sith, whatever you argue... It's all been built to. It does. It has. It has room to grow. It has room to expand. It has room to tell a story over multiple movies. Rogue One comes in as a standalone. It has one movie. It's got to tell a cohesive, heartfelt, 
emotional story within the space of one single film. They have no room. They have don't. They don't have a TV show. They don't have a comic. They probably have a comic now um, out, but uh, they're going to have the Andor show, I guess. So that kind of undermines it a little bit. But uh, just the idea of establishing these characters, these Star Wars characters, for people to love without having the room to grow them through multiple films and tell a story that just it wrenches your heart man i mean when those when those that suicide squad that my my prime suicide squad we're not going to talk about the the movie from dc all right my favorite suicide squad um outside of mass effect 2 uh has got to be the people who go to scarif and get the death star plans and that whole heist i i'm a sucker for heists i love heists uh, Ocean's Eleven, you know, The Italian Job, all those great movies with heists. I love heists. And the, the Rogue One storytelling with all those unique, different, exciting characters and establishing them within one movie and telling complete, arced stories for each and every one of them and having them all die at the end because it's just, it, there's, there's no way they can live through that. And, but still being able to make you feel when they die is crazy good. Okay. Jensen, your response? Now, I'm put in a very interesting position here because what Kellen's essentially done is, like, eliminated Revenge of the Sith by saying that, like, oh, the Clone Wars doesn't count because it's not part of the movie and yada yada, <laughs> uh, which is fair enough. And Episode 5, which he said, which is the go-to for these sort of things. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll stick within his, his boundaries of the argument, which is the best Star Wars film, which is the best stand- standalone Star Wars film. And I will say... Of course, it has to be Episode 4, A New Hope. It's the one that started everything off. And, you know, before there was a sequel, everybody was already... They wanted to know what happened to Luke. They were sad about what happened to Ben. They were excited when Han and Chewie are pulling off maneuvers. And, you know, they want to know what happens with the princess and the celebration at the end. Obviously, they, you know, emerge victorious against the evil empire. And everyone wants to know what happens next. And then we get a fantastic sequel. But... As far as building a galaxy and starting things off, A New Hope, Episode 4, is the one that did it. And, you know, just by the title of the original title of the film is Star Wars. So what other film can you really choose for this answer other than Star Wars, the original? Argument over. Okay, Steven. Solid choice. Yeah, well, yeah that, that was a great, great pivot there. Uh, it, it is very difficult to argue against the OG Star Wars 4. I'm automatically biased because Rogue One is my favorite movie for a lot of the reasons that Kellen has given. Um, I feel like we kind of screwed Jensen over here because we gave Kellen the... Well, no, no. The last the last question he got first. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Brevin? I'm, ta- I'm torn on this one. I, I am also torn. While I, I have to give Kellen props <laughs> for not taking episode 5, which you've is... Been in, you've been in that green milk, haven't you? I, I've been in the green milk. Uh, props for not taking episode 5, which is the obvious answer. And going with Rogue One, I do think I have to give this round to Jensen with Star Wars as just the thing that started everything. So that's that's my answer. Okay, I'll descend. And I'll say Rogue One. But you're not helpful because now we. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. You said a tie. I won. So. On a tie, so Kellen, Kellen on a tie, Kellen win. wins. So yes, Kellen will take the the banner here going into round two. So now. It's yeah, actually, st- if I had voted for Jensen, then we would be in a tie. So you're welcome, Brevin. All right, sure. All right, so we doing we we doing this now. Uh, next questions between between Stephen and and, yes, uh, and Jensen. And I scored zero points on the trivia. 
Uh, but I will defer and let Stephen as the. Uh, he had he had one point. Stephen, yeah, yeah, Stephen Brevin. Stephen Brevin. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Stephen so, goes first. Yes, uh, I'll, I'll let Stephen go first. All right. Third. We're going to go ahead and give us a roll here. We got a six. So the question for you, Stephen, is who is the worst character in the original trilogy? In the original, oh, see, I was going to go Pong Krell if it was uh, Clone Wars that was included. Okay, as fun as it would be to be cute and like just choose like Lobot or something that just had no screen time, it's like, yeah, we should have seen more. I'm actually going to say Chewbacca. Chewie, is that you? Um, for for being Han's lifelong companion that he's been through, that he rescued from slavery, that has been his partner in crime, literally and figuratively, for the last who knows how long, we don't know anything about him. And because they tried to be cute with the language um, and no one being able to understand what he's saying, we we don't get to know this really important character. We just, Han really likes him and he really likes Han, which is endearing. But we, like, Han, we get lots of backstory. Leia, we get lots of backstory. Luke, we get lots of backstory. We don't know squat about Chewbacca. And so I think I would actually say that the worst character in the original trilogy, Chewbacca. We, we should have learned more about him. Okay. I, I think that's an interesting interpretation of worst, but a fair one. Uh, for me, I'm going to say worst in terms of like things that we saw that we sort of wished we could unsee that weren't essential to the plot. So obviously, like there are a lot of gross characters in Star Wars. Jabba the Hutt, obviously, very gross character, but he's necessary. Yeah. He's he's a necessary character as a counterpoint. He's showing the slime of the underworld. However, I would argue he is sufficient in and of himself. What we did not need was Bib Fortuna. They want a wonga. My, they want a. Who is the grossest, slimiest character in all of the three original movies. With his long, skittering nails, his weird, like, grin with his teeth, his, like, lack of lips. I don't even know what's going on there. And his weird, bulbous head. There are good-looking Twi'leks. Whatever he is is a not-good-looking Twi'lek or whatever he is. We did not need to see him. I think he is the worst character in the original trilogy. I want to give a quick shout out to Nut, the Twi'lek from our uh, Star Wars RPG. <laughs> yes. Who was a good looking Twi'lek male. Good looking Twi'lek male. Also, shout out to Fat Bib Fortuna in Mandalorian. <laughs> Ex Fat oh, Bib Fortuna. Fun fact about Fat Bib uh, Fortuna. I'm actually quite confident um, they used character art that was originally made for uh, Jabba the Hutt. Oh, interesting. Uh, if you look at some of the behind the scenes stuff, you see some of the original plans for Jabba the Hutt was actually like a humanoid with just mm-hmm. kind of tentacles and just very very fat and it looks huh. eerily like Bib Fortuna. Very cool. Fat Fascinating. Uh, as far as worst character goes um, for me I actually have to go with Chewbacca in this instance. Hmm. I love Chewbacca. Honestly I do but Steven's points were really good that we just we don't know enough about him. They established the life debt interestingly and he's just kind of there as a co-pilot and he doesn't really do much. He didn't get a medal, that guy. He mm. clearly didn't contribute to the whole of effort there. <laughs> but I, I, I agree with Stephen's points that like all of what we know about Chewbacca is established after the movies. Like we just don't see enough of him in the movies. So that's my vote. As much as Bib Fortuna is gross, I I think I also have to go with Chewbacca. I think Stephen made a very uh, compelling argument and one that I hadn't heard before. So props to you, Stephen. Well done. Thank you. All right. All right. So we're going to do one more here? Mm-hmm. Let's well, see it. two, hopefully. Two, two more. Yeah, all right, Bevan. <laughs> all right. So we've actually rolled a seven, which is, of course, the worst character in the sequel trilogy. 
which I believe goes to Bradman first now. It does, it does, it does. In terms of worst character in the sequel trilogy, there are obviously a couple different routes you could take. There are sort of the critiques of Rey as a Mary Sue. I'm not going to go down that route. Uh, there are critiques of of Poe as just like a failed Han Solo. I'm not going to go down that route. Instead, I'm going to talk about what we've talked about a little bit before, which is Finn. And the, the stormtrooper who realized the monster that he was overcame that and then proceeded to just like nosedive into nothingness for the entire rest of the story. It was by far the biggest opportunity, the most interesting development, really, that the sequel trilogy had in terms of moral gray areas, uh, and in terms of interesting character development, in terms of like making us question this universe that we're born into. I mean, episode eight gets into the whole thing with these profiteers, and oh, look, they're the ones making the money, and then abandons it and never speaks of it again, while ignoring the absolute quintessential example of people caught up in the horrors of war, who somehow managed to escape from it and have to decide their, their path through it, which is Finn himself. And I think Finn goes from this character with infinite potential, both just as a character with no backstory, no nothing. He could be anyone. He could be the son of anyone. Or he could be the person who demonstrates that lineage doesn't matter whatsoever. There were all these shots of him with lightsabers, of him in these dramatic instances where he could have been a character that changed the story. But in every single instance, it was a red herring. It was to make us think, oh, he's Force-sensitive. No, he's not. Or, or just to abort every single interesting character opportunity that you had with him. And for that reason, I think he's the worst character in the sequel trilogy. Of course. Nope, I got it. Yep. Again, this is distinctly bracketed in sequel, but I'm going to say Luke. Ooh. So I, after the sequel trilogy, I remember just kind of being done with Star Wars. And it wasn't actually until one of my friends got me to uh, play Fallen Order, and then I watched Clone Wars and Rebels, and I kind of re remember that good Star Wars stories can be told. But... I've thought a lot about why that was, and a lot of it, I think, was just a lot of just disillusionment, disenfranchisement with Star Wars, the, the Star Wars universe. I think it, you cannot sum it up better than in the character that was Luke in Episode Eight. You, we we went from a man who was dead convinced that the greatest monster in the entire universe was redeemable just because he was his dad. That's it. He had nothing else to go on, and. He was willing to risk everything. He was willing to risk his friends, his rebellion, his, his own life for his dad. Fast forward 20 years, he has one bad vision that his nephew might ostensibly turn to the dark side, and he then plots to murder him in his sleep. And even after, I actually, so to be fair, I actually did kind of like the sequence where Ben Solo gives his perspective, Luke gives his, and Ben gives his again, or, or something like that. Like, sequence. I thought that was actually a pretty cool sequence. And and that's why it took me a while to actually kind of remember, like, wait, that's not Luke. Luke wouldn't have done that. And even if he had done that, when he finally is reunited, quote-unquote, in a duel with his nephew, there's no appeals to, like, no, look, I'm sorry, you're better than this, you're better than me, you can be better than me. It's just he proceeds to berate and insult his wayward nephew, no attempts at redemption, no attempts at, at at reconciliation. And so we we go from this hero who believes in the redemption of a monster to a guy who wants to murder his nephew in his sleep because he had a bad dream. So Luke is the worst <laughs> character in Star Wars sequel. Well, I have my vote ready, so I'm going to go ahead here and say I am going to vote that Finn is is, is worse, worse treated. Uh, I appreciate your arguments of only considering Luke in the sequel trilogy, and I think that does help your case. But I think that having... I, I'm a big fan of the Cinema Wins uh, videos on both The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. 
Personally, I love those videos. I think he raises a lot of good points. I don't obviously don't agree with him fully, but I think he does a really good job of explaining that Luke kind of always was a bit of a character on the edge. Like his one of his main sequences in episode six is that he gives into the dark side to beat Vader. He wouldn't have beat Vader if he was only the purest light side character who didn't give in to his anger and didn't give in to I need to stop this for the you know, the future of humanity and all that. Future of more than humanity in the universe. I think that he gave in to his 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 anger. He gave in to those same feelings he experiences with Ben Solo. Uh, so I think that Finn, all of Reverend's arguments were what was treated more dirtily, and it's one of my biggest disappointments in the sequel in the sequel trilogy is how badly they treated Finn. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Finn for me is one of the biggest disappointments of the sequels, and Stephen, you did make a lot of great arguments, and I do also agree with everything you said. But it's just like an order of magnitude thing where I think Finn was done a little bit dirtier than Luke was done. That's that's all it comes down to. So no, we'll argue I'm, by I'm, both I'm with you there. The, the yeah, potential it's, it's that a was tough. wasted with Finn. No, yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So that well, brings us to... It does. It does. Three. Round three, one to one. So whoever wins Dang. this wins the whole thing. And if Jenton and I split, then I guess it's a tie. Oh, natural 20. Nat 20. Solid. Classic. All right. So the argument, first to Steven, is the best Star Wars army to be a grunt in. So oh, I, I actually wrote this question. So just to clarify, it's like outside of army life, who has the best quality of life, that sort of thing. So it's not out, outside of army life. Right. So like, I would say if you really have an argument for inside, I would listen to it. I don't know okay. Yeah. yeah. Saying, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that as well. So I'm going to take a page out of Brevin's book. I too listened to the podcast last time around. And I recall him saying that the empire, nothing wrong. <laughs> and even even if you want to go real politic about it and say no they did plenty of plenty wrong but like they did enforce stability or whatever they were hands down the most powerful force for 20 years so they actually like if you want to be in an army you want to be in the strongest army you want to be like that's going to be the one that gives you the best quality of life and so i would say grunt stormtrooper not a tie fighter pilot uh at least in legends canonically your life expect- expectancy was about a year and not more like there was always massive celebrations for TIE fighter pilots who live longer than that. But I would say like Stormtrooper, Impsec, something like that where you're a grunt, but you're just kind of doing your patrol and you're powerful enough that nobody really wants to mess with you. Sounds good to me. Rebels, you're fighting the, the bigger guys. Droids, you're mindless and clones. You're getting thrown away and you have a chip in your mind. I'm, I'm going Stormtrooper. Um, so as fun as it would be to be a Stormtrooper grunt, putting down insurrections and everyone, you know, shooting daggers into your back literally everywhere that you walk in the entire galaxy, I just have to make my case mostly with a single quote, which is that, uh, you know, I, I hate sand. It's rough and it's coarse and it gets everywhere, but not like here. Here, everything is smooth. And where is everything smooth? Naboo. Naboo is the best planet. It's basically an, it's basically just like a tropical paradise year round, absolutely peaceful with the one exception of this random trade federation thing. And basically, like, who doesn't want to be a soldier who just lives in a smooth place? Like, your guns basically don't work because you're never expected to fight. You just get to relax and be on vacation basically all the time. Your queen is a 14-year-old, and that shows how little people care about their government. You want to be a soldier in the Naboo Royal Army. That is by far the best place to be a grunt in all of Star Wars. Backwater planet, nothing happens. You just get to relax frickin' all the time. That is my answer. 
I'm, I'm gonna call a technicality on this one. They don't have an army. They have a small security force. But that's it. We thought you were gonna say Gungan. We did think you said Gungan. that was my secondary. <laughs> that so was my secondary. I, I, I think actually in episode one they say they don't have an army, don't they? They're I believe, a, but the Gungans that, do. I believe that's true. That's why they have good yeah. recruit the Gungans. Is Stephen so I, is I think, oh, no, no. transposed it over to Gungans. I think if you want to pivot to Gungans, I think we'd accept that. Okay, fine. It's better to be, and, and you know what's better than uh, being a Naboo <laughs> royal guard, being even smoother as an amphibian. It's perfectly cool. It's not just room temperature; it's sea temperature all of the time. You can probably breathe through your skin. You live in a beautiful underwater city where your where your food swims buffet style outside of your bedroom window every single day, and all you have to do is stick your head out and use your giant tongue. Gungan grunt, best thing to be. Do you think those orbs they live in have any privacy at all? That's my question. <laughs> we didn't see their rooms in the orbs. <laughs> we only saw like the the, the public yeah, areas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, with the uh, I I was I was honestly I was going to do this anyway, just because even though Naboo doesn't have an army, they do have a private security force, and I wasn't going to call Takadi on it. But it was a good call, Stephen, and I agree with your call. I do think it's still better to be a grunt in the Gungan army. I mean. They're peaceful. They're not being deployed as security forces by an oligarchical government to, to just be the enemy of everyone ever, constantly fighting rebellions, insurrections, freedom fighters, Saw Gerrera. I mean, like, if you're a stormtrooper, like, you always have to be ready, because Saw Gerrera could totally blow you up whenever you're not ready. Like, that would, that would be understandable. And for the Gungans, that's just not really a concern. I, th- I, I do think that if you're going to be in an army, you should be in an army in a place that's relatively peaceful. I mean, they did fight in episode one, and a lot of them died. But as far as we know, that's the only real conflict they've come across. As far as we know, not a they single did, Gungan they... died in battle ever since then, as far as we know. <laughs> uh, no, they, they did get deployed to, to Mon Calamari in the Clone Wars. Oh, that's right. They get deployed to Mon Calamari. But we said in peacetime, outside of the You are correct. Stephen is correct, however, though, that uh, the, Mungan, the Gungans were deployed to Mon Calamari as a uh, support force during that one underwater arc in Clone Wars. That's right. Uh, so you've gone with Gungans. I have. For my answer, I just would like to regale you with an anecdote from a famous Dave Filoni show. Picture yourself as an Imperial. You know, you've been hanging out at the base for a while. It's relatively peaceful. You're in your ATST next to your partner. All of a sudden, you get your head clanged together with the guy sitting next to you, and you're just out. You're done. <laughs> and a teenager and a child have hijacked your vehicle. And now you're gonna get, you know, court-martialed and, and reprimanded by your evil, uh, your evil officer boss. And that's just not a place where I wanna be. I'm going gun kill all the way. Yeah, that's fair. I'm actually kind of convinced at this point. You, 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 so, I, for the record, yeah, no, you, you made it. He's time. Yeah, you did. You did. But, you did. You did. But, uh, but yeah, the, no, quest, the question did not say in peacetime. I wanna point that out. Well, they both oh, are. I mean, they both are your quality of life outside. Of, yeah. So anyway, I, I think the yeah, Empire does. Is, would, Empire Trump's, you know, clone where you're a slave army or droid or a lot of other ones. But Gungan is not one that I saw. I want to point out that even later. during relative yeah. peacetime, the stormtrooper Finn was still told to murder civilians. And that wasn't during a war. That was still during peacetime, technically. Fair point. Well, yeah, fair point. First no, order, I think I would, I would say that's call first order, order not yeah. empire. But, yes, but, no, they're so still stronger. But regardless, I I do believe we have our finals round, and maybe we'll just make this a one-off because we are starting to run overtime. Between Kellen and I, Jensen, if you'd like to roll sure. the dice and call it, if it's a bad one, feel free to switch it to something better. Eighteen. Oh, I like this one. <clears throat> uh, Kellen, I'll let you go first. Okay. So to Kellen, who? Is the droid most likely to rule the galaxy if all sentient life was eliminated? 
All right, I don't even have to think about this one. The droid most likely to rule the galaxy if all sentient life was eliminated is Chopper. That <laughs> flippin' droid has, I believe, over like 30,000 confirmed kills. He has no conscience. <laughs> Chopper has killed so many individuals. He has snuffed out their life force without even a thought, without even a, a, a moment to like reflect on what he's doing. Chopper is the most ruthless droid. I've played KOTOR. I have had HK-47. He has killed all the meatbags he wants, and even he cannot compare to the sheer magnitude of destruction that Chopper causes. And Chopper is still loved by his family, by his <laughs> friends. He's running this, like, false double life where he can both have a family, have friends that love him and support him and will come rescue him even, whilst being this ruthless murderer of a droid. And that's what you need if you want to rule the galaxy. If you want to be a, the ruler of all the droids ever, you have to show them that you and you alone are strong enough to rule. You are the one who will punish them if they dissent against your your rulings. And only Chopper in the whole galaxy is is, is hard enough, is is powerful enough, is ruthless enough to make those choices that are necessary. And that's my choice. <laughs> well said. <laughs> You're up against a tough one, Brevin. Yeah. I do believe there are only two droids. There are only two droids who show up. And one of very few characters. I think Yoda might be the other exception. But only two droids and one of maybe three characters that show up in all nine of the main Star Wars movies. And that is R2-D2 and C-3PO. Now... My answer sort of has to include both of these just for one reason. And this and, and this reason is that it is fine to be the most ruthless droid with 30,000 confirmed kills. That's an insane stat, by the way. That's, that's excellent. That's great. But here is the thing. Star Wars is a mythic universe. It's a universe with forces at work that are bigger than any of the individual characters. It's a matter of fate, if you might consider it. And C-3PO is one character that does not deserve to be anywhere that he is. He is always incompetent, he's always bumbling, and somehow he is just always, everything works out for him. It always just gets better and better and better. He's always there at the important moments. He's always doing in, in, important things. He's always stumbling into key things at, at perfect times. Somehow everything keeps working for him. It's almost as if he's like, like the god of luck is just like a, is, is just on his side. And here is the thing. The god of luck is by his side all the time. And that is R2-D2. R2-D2 is the god of the Star Wars universe. R2-D2 is the secret runner behind everything. He is the hand of fate bumping things into place over and over and over again in the, in the Star Wars movies in the entire universe itself. C-3PO is just his puppet. He's just, he's just here to play. He's, he's the freaking, R2-D2 is the freaking god of mischief. He's just here and we are all of his playthings. The fact that he puts C-3PO in the positions of the highest government with the most important characters over and over and over again is simply because it's his whim to see this person suffer and to torment him. So C-3PO would rule, but only because R2-D2 would stand behind him as the god of fate over the entire universe and make it happen. <laughs> Solid arguments. Uh, no, that's pretty Jensen good. or that's Steven, pretty whoever good. would like to go first. Ironically, I want to go with R2-D2 and 3PO, but I do love Chopper. I'm a Chopper fan, and the 30,000 confirmed kills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go with Chopper. He, he gets stuff done. I, I, I would put the god of uh, god of slaughter over the, the god of mischief and luck. Oh, man. I don't know. I As much as much as the, yeah, the control and fun of R2 has, I think 
if you really wanted to actually rule the galaxy, the easiest way to do it is to just eliminate your enemies. And we saw that with Palpatine just striking the Jedi down and Chopper striking down everyone that looks at him the wrong way. So I think I have to uh, go with Chopper as well for the sheer ruthless power that he wields. That was an incredible answer. That was well done. Oh, well right. done, Kellen. Well done. So Kellen is the winner of our first annual Star Wars Superlatives. And and honestly, like losing, it's kind of the worst thing. It makes me quite mad. When I'm mad, I rant. We're now to our final segment, Rants. <laughs> Steven, why don't we start with you? Okay, a rant. So we've uh, we've gone lightly over how the, the sequel trilogy just kind of had a lot of uh, had a lot of issues, and one of the biggest issues I do think was uh, Ray as a character. Um, and she has received plenty of criticism. I one fun thing to do if you have time is to go down the rabbit hole of YouTube uh, uh, neckbeards go, uh, going on rants about uh, the sequel trilogies. A lot of them are quite funny, um, but it, it's unfortunate. So I, there's plenty of flaws with her character, but continually the thing brought up is you don't like her because she's a woman. You don't like her because she's sexist, etc., etc. Now, to be fair, a lot of these YouTube videos, a lot of the criticisms are completely sexist, and that's not okay. But I remember kind of continually thinking, like, no, I don't think I can count myself in that camp that's sexist, but, like, she's not great. She's just this really flat character. And then I watched The Clone Wars, and the character of Ahsoka Tano, uh, Anakin's uh, Jedi Padawan, who is hands down one of the best, in my opinion, the best character to have ever come out of the Star Wars universe. Brilliantly done. And if you go to any of the serious Star Wars fans and start insulting Ahsoka, they will tear you limb from limb. She is so well-loved. And so it's so annoying to constantly hear, well, Star Wars fans are just sexist. And that's the only reason why they couldn't have liked Rey. It's like, no, look, there are. it is proof positive that really, really good female characters can be found within the Star Wars mythos. And we were robbed of one with Ray. She could have been cool, cool. She just simply wasn't, and that's very disappointing. Well said. Well, well said. Uh, moving right along to Jensen, do you have a rant for us? I do indeed. Now, when Star Wars video game fans talk about the greatest games of all time, you would be hard pressed to find one that does not include the Knights of the Old Republic on that list. And we've already gone over that a little bit in this podcast already. And again, with a game which released in 2003 as the first game from the unknown studio at the time called BioWare, it blew people away. Fast forward 18 years, the game is now old enough that can le- it can legally buy a lottery ticket, which is ironically one of the biggest ways that BioWare's parent company, EA, makes money through its loot box systems. Since EA signed an exclusive Star Wars game license with Disney in 2013, they've released Battlefront 1 and 2, solid enough games especially too, Fallen Order, a great game, Squadron's a great game, and a mobile game, and that's it. And they're a huge conglomerate of corporations that owns tons of studios. And we've already talked about this, so I won't talk very long, but I just think there's a missed opportunity, especially with Star Wars video games, to explore different avenues and different timelines and different genres. I I just think about all of the different types of games that we've had before, the original Battlefronts, which were first and third person shooters, the Jedi Knight games, which were third person RPG games with incredible saber physics and 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 really groundbreaking combat in that way. And I just, I'm hopeful for the future of games like Fallen Order and the game that we talked about with the Ubisoft open world game. I I believe that there are things in the works, but I just, 
I want, once this deal ends, I want them to open up the license to be able to let smaller studios like a young Bioware, like name any indie studio that's come out with a hit in the last five years, let them try their hand at something and just, you know, delve into the Star Wars license. I think there's a lot of potential that's being missed just because of a, you know, a deal that was signed with a big corporation because Disney didn't want to be very hands-on with their video game licensing. So I ranting that it has been disappointing the past 10 years of this or eight, I suppose, and I am hopeful for the future, and I really hope that they capitalize on the potential that is the Star Wars universe in video game form. Very good. For my rant, I also just want to pick a genre of Star Wars media and just run with it. And that is the novels, both children and adult, primarily adult, but both really. And that is just that the original Star Wars canon set of novels, uh, the Obi-Wan series, the the series with uh, Obi-Wan as Master Anakin as student, the Yutsen Vong, the Fate of the Jedi legacy... All of these different series, frankly, had no business being as good as they were. Ever since Timothy Zahn's Hair of the Empire came out and revitalized the whole uh, Star Wars novel business, it turned into this amazing, beautiful, complex world with series after series being written by like eight different authors at a time and each adding their own particular flavors, their own unique interests, their own particular styles, their own cultures that they tended to like. Jensen, who's the person who likes Mandalorian and adds them into every novel? Karen Travis. Karen Travis and, and, and the Mandalorian. Every novel she wrote would have a little bit of Mandalore just infused into it. And that was a beautiful thing. You came to know these different authors. You came to know what they what their projects were. And it was truly an amazing thing that all fit together in this giant, expansive galaxy far, far away that frankly just had no business being as comprehensive, as cohesive, and and as complementary as it did. It really was this amazing decentralized, in many ways, project. And you could see as the authors contest with different ideas, tried to build characters in certain ways, but they all had to stay with the original canon. And this and, and this is why it's so sad to see with the sequel trilogy, this centralization and this centralization with a lack of vision, where you have all of the power in one place and the people don't know what to do with it as opposed to this previous era of Star Wars where everyone had ideas but had limited power, so they did beautiful things in the small spaces that they had to work with. And a lot of this, you know, has been recreated in recent years with Filioni, with The Mandalorian, and the various directors there. A lot of this might be nostalgia. I read a lot of these, you know, Star Wars stories, like 300 of them in one big download as, like, text files in early mornings when I'd get up before school and chores just so I could read a little bit more of whatever Yutes and Vong conflict was happening in the novel that I was on. But it really was this amazing canon that was created around these characters that were beloved, that made you love new characters. And I truly hope that whatever Star Wars reflects in the future, it will have that spirit and not the spirit that we saw in the sequel trilogy. Uh, so that is my rant. And now Kellen for our final one. Yeah, so the the final rant I've prepared today is it's about, it's about Raylo. And I want to preclude this by saying, I love Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver as actors. I think they did just a fantastic job with what they were given. And even the direction wasn't terrible. I love the cinematography. I love the sound design of the connections and all of that. I think the writing failed them. I think they're both just fantastic actors. And with a little bit of better writing, it could have been amazing. But... The idea that they're forced together into a romance plot has always bugged me, and I just don't like it. I mean, the idea of Raylo has just never sat well with me. I mean, one of the things I've, I've read online, and I want to say these aren't my words, but I endorse them wholeheartedly, is let's break this down into the real world. They basically had a knife fight at a bar, 
He stalkingly texted her for a few days. He kidnapped her and tortured her for a day. She escaped his basement, had another knife fight with some of his friends, had a knife fight with him again, stabbed him, and called 911. Then they decided to kill the creepy family member who molested them both. And that's not a love story. It's just, it's just not. I mean, you've, the, the, the joke around Twilight for so many years is that the relationship fits all the criteria for domestic abuse. And I've felt that same way about Raylo. It's just that it hasn't, it's not a love story. It's a story of two abused people who are helping each other out of the abuse. I'll give them that. But it's not a love story. And I've seen enough rom-coms you know, by myself at night to uh, to understand what a love story can be. And Raylo just isn't one. So that's, that, that's my rant for the day. It took a darker turn than I was expecting. Oh, well, gentlemen, we are well over time, even with our various technical difficulties that will be edited out. But is there any... Any final words? I know there were some chat conversations. Anyone want to make one last point where the other person doesn't have a chance to respond uh, before I take us out? Force me with you. We shouldn't be overly surprised that this went late. I mean, you're asking four nerds to talk about Star Wars and and keep it short. Like, that's just not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Well, the dark side clouded our vision, so we couldn't anticipate Mm -hmm. it. Fair enough. I will say. That's why they call it a special, you know? It goes over time. Well then, I will take us home for everyone here at the Problem with Reading special Star Wars podcast. I'm Brevin. I'm Steven. I am Jensen. And I am Kellen. And we will see you in a galaxy far, far away. Long time ago. Yeah, and with your spirit. (laughs) The joke is made. Okay. Um, so the final question that we didn't answer is number 19, which is Star Wars character most likely to vote for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I feel like there's a pretty good answer to this. I have a good answer as well. Yeah. Hold on. I don't know if I have, I, I don't have that confidence, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure I really have Jensen, anything. Jensen, do you want to go with your confident answer? If you yeah. Answer first. Yeah, I mean, I think Padme, right? Isn't she all about oh, just yeah, kind maybe, of like yes. common good, sort of like ultra democracy sort of... Redist- I don't know. I could see her shooting for no, yeah. tax the rich, redistribute the wealth, that sort of thing. No, yeah, that 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 scans. What did you have, Colin? I honestly had the same answer slash Leia Organa Solo yeah, for the same yeah, reasons, that, that but also sense. we can we can throw out a good Sheev Palpatine. Sheev Palpatine. I love the Republic. He's, he's big into the whole like, oh yeah, he totally loves the Republic, but he actually <laughs> wants to have ultimate power. The Death just, Star is infrastructure. <laughs> Listen, yeah, Death Star is infrastructure. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna seize the means of production for the Empire <laughs> and have everything be centralized into the government. The regional governors shall now have direct control over that territory. See, these are the kind of takes that we leave the recorder on for. That's why we leave it on. <laughs> I guess on that note, uh, Tarkin, he, he would definitely try to attach himself to Bernie's rise to power. Hmm. Fair enough, yeah. If he actually thought if he thought Bernie was going to rise to power, he would. Sure. Yep. Jar mm. Jar Binks, because he has so many bumper stickers, I just know oh, that, dude, <laughs> that he would have so many bumper stickers. Good one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think this yep. this little Bernie Sanders thing is going at the end of the podcast. I think that has to be there. <laughs> this, the, this, no, is the so this is a sticker. <laughs> well, anyway.